0: If you like retro video games? Then you should check out the NerdCave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord
1: by going to the NerdCave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micers podcast, but you think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn, found wherever podcasts are given away for free. Dead Game is the new podcast where award-winning comedy writer Wally Phelps
0: and award seeing comedy sidekick Carlos Longoria (laughs) use their powers of necromancy to resurrect failing or long-suffering game franchises. From Fortnite to Rock
1: Band, D&D to Double Dragon, listen to Dead Game, where games go to get good. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond and old Rob himself, Mr. Robbie Hennig. The Micah's Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig. I'm
0: I'm finally kind of getting my voice back after last night. I had, I was out late doing a show, and uh, I am more excited for this podcast than I was for my show last night, guys. Because <laughs> we have a very special guest with you. We've interviewed famous stand-up comics before, famous TV actors, but we have a top-tier. Comedy screenwriter here for you guys. He has worked on the likes of King of the Hill, Lopez, Rules of Engagement, Marin. The list goes on. We could break down his resume all day. Or we could just talk to the man. It's <laughs> Michael Giamman. How are you doing today, sir? Hi. Uh, yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. What's up? Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, man. We yeah. are stoked to have you here. <laughs> uh We are very big fans of all the stuff that you've done, especially King of the Hill, yeah. and Butthead, that whole thing, man. Yeah. Uh, what what was it like writing uh, on King of the Hill for five years at sort of the, like the peak of its popularity? Yeah,
2: I mean, that was a really fun, fun show. Great bunch of writers. There's probably about 20 of us. And uh, I was there for, yeah, I think about 100 or so episodes. You know, and you would go in and we had great guest stars all the time. We had, you know, Ben Stiller. And they all came to the table to read, you know, Tom Petty. It was, it was amazing. Every week we get some other great star to, you know. To blow it up. It was a wonderful experience. A lot of fun.
1: So what's that writer's room like? Is it kind of everybody fighting to get their joke into the show? Or, uh, you know, is mm-hmm. it is it a friendly atmosphere or is it very competitive?
0: No, it
2: was very. it's very uh, friendly. It, it, it was about 20 of us. So we would often divide. We always divide it into usually three rooms. Uh, and then so one room would be doing the rewrite for this week. And one room would be breaking stories for future episodes. And then usually one room was like a joke room, doing punch up for whatever needed to be done. So you'd, you'd be like five or six people in a room, and it was always it was always a lot of fun. If you weren't laughing, you were you were doing something wrong <laughs> that day.
1: So I was looking on your IMDb, and the first thing you actually wrote for uh, that you were credited for was Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of Superman. Yeah, and that was a freelance episode. So, partner, so how did you land that? Take us back to the beginning. How did you how did you get your foot in the door? Uh, you know. After college, I moved out to L.A. I tried to get a job as a PA, a production
2: assistant, on a bunch of different shows. And it took months before I finally got... uh, Well, actually, it's not really... I I worked briefly on a show uh, as a PA on uh, a show with Burt Reynolds called um, Evening Shade. I remember that show. (laughs) And then I eventually got a job as as the assistant to two TV writers, executive producers. They had a show called... uh, um, it had to be you with Faye Dunaway. And I was their assistant. I answered the phone and I did this for, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And then they got another job running Lois and Clark and they're wonderful people, wonderful, very talented writers, but also just lovely people. And so we uh, we my partner and I asked if we could pitch them an idea for Lois and Clark, and which is it was a big thing for them to say yes. And we did so we came in with five ideas and they bought one. That was our, that was our break.
1: Yeah, so what what did that feel like when you actually sold a a, a script for the show? I mean, it was like that—that was everything. They re, they rewrote
2: the hell out of it, <laughs> which is very <laughs> normal whenever you sell a, a, a freelance episode. But uh, it was really very exciting. Yeah, it's validation.
1: So did that lead to? What did that lead to? That, lead, that, that led work? to nothing. I mean, most freelance
2: episodes really don't lead to anything other than a, a paycheck and the, the the drive to think that maybe you could do this and. Yeah. So my partner and I kept on writing more scripts together, uh, sample scripts, they called spec scripts. And then eventually our agent got us into the pile at Just Shoot Me. It was a brand new show, new sitcom, pilot. And uh, Steve Levitan's assistant read it. She loved it, passed it up to her boss, Steve, who later went on to you know, co-create uh, Modern Family. And so he he liked our script enough to hire us as staff writers.
1: So is writing something you've always done like your entire life or is it something you got into in college or what was your no, I, genesis?
2: I wanted there? to be a comedy writer ever since high school and then like, you know, watching Cheers and stuff. And in college, I, I did some stand up. I did stand up for a little bit after college as well. I just didn't like the idea of being spending my life on the road. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, maybe I could be a comedy writer. And so then I you know, kind of transitioned to, to sitcoms.
0: Is it more difficult to kind of be a, a screenwriter comedy writer trying to find a voice for other people than it is for yourself? Or do you kind of just try to get other people to work with like your creative voice? No,
2: no, no. It's, it's actually whatever show you're on, your job is to capture the voice of the characters. You know? and, and you literally, dang it, Bobby, you, you, you literally talk in the character's <laughs> voice so that you can so you know it sounds right. It's not my job to change Hank's voice my job is to get Hank's voice. And so that is, that's on every show I've ever been on. It's like you imitate the actors. Uh, And then later, so it's like, I know people say, you got to find your voice. And that's true if you were going to write something original or a movie or a pilot or something. But as far, when you're on a TV show, no, no, you don't have a voice. You're not
0: supposed to have a voice. You're supposed to have the the show's voice. Yeah. Gotcha. So your job is kind of more trying to come up with like the situational comedy aspect of the whole thing. Like what are the characters going to get into this episode?
2: Right. You come up with an idea, see if there's enough legs on it for a a half hour of television, if there's enough meat on the bone.
1: Yeah. So how does it it really work? I mean, as a person who I've been writing most of my life and, and, you know, written some scripts and stuff, how does like uh, writing for a TV show, like, do you just kind of come up with an idea and bring it in there? And then it sort of throws people, throw you ideas and then you write it. Like, how does a script for an episode sort of get built?
2: So you have a bunch of writers on staff and then one, one or two showrunners who are the head writers. And so your job is to pitch the showrunner ideas. Like what if in this episode, whatever, you pitch one or two lines and you can pitch it around the room and, and it, you could tell if it's a good idea or not because people have sparked to it. If they don't, you better come up with something else. And then when there's finally enough you know, momentum on this one idea, you'll, you'll get a whiteboard like this over there and you'll break it up into what we call breaking the story. And so you'll draw lines, act one, act two, act three. And then you'll spend easily well, easily five days of a, a, a staff of professional writers um, breaking the story, trying to figure out what the scenes are, what the story is really about, uh, you know, what all the characters are doing in each scene. And then that's just when the story is broken. And then after that, one writer or a writing team will go off. They'll write an outline, then write a first draft, a second draft, and all that.
0: So how different is it from writing for an animated sitcom like King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead to a live action sitcom like Rules of Engagement?
2: It's very similar. So story structure is story structure. If you, if you know one, you can do both. The only limitations are in a live action show, uh, with like Rules of Engagement was a multi-camera show. So that's shot live on a studio uh, with an audience there. And so you have a limited number of sets and you're shooting it all in like, you know, five hours. Whereas an animated show... You know, the sky's the limit as as to how many sets you can have. You just don't want to overwhelm the animators. But there's nothing you can't do in animation,
1: right? So when you're and writing, so are... oh, you go, go ahead, good. well, oh, I was going to ask when you're writing, like for animation, um, yeah. do you actually, when you do your descriptors and things like that, do you actually, uh, sort of lay out the scene that it's going to be, or do you just sort of write like a, a little one sentence, like, okay, Hank and you know Hank and, and Bill are by the fence talking and then you write out the scene or is it sort of like you have to build kind of theater of the mind while writing the script so the animators no, no, no. know you, what to you write the
2: bare, the bare basics you know Hank and the guys are standing at the, in the alley okay Bill drinks a Bill drinks from a cooler that's it whatever you need in that scene and that's it the shorter the better no one wants to read those that stage direction no yeah. one wants to read it and I, i've often been the boss of the showrunner of shows and someone will turn them script, and I go, "I'm confused. What happens here?" And they'll say, "Oh, I put it in the stage direction." I'm like, dude, no one reads the stage directions. <laughs> no, least of all the boss.
1: because yeah, <laughs> that that seems like it would be different. Uh, like it seems like writing for animation would be more akin to writing for, like, say, a comic book writer. but like, you know, like instead instead of writing for you know just a, a regular script for a live action show.
2: No, it really is the same. I mean, I, I'm not telling. I'm only including in the stage direction as much as, as, as it as needs to know. If if the joke is that Bill is wearing a dirty shirt, put that in. But I don't
0: need to say I don't need to say where the stain is unless it's important for the scene, you know? And when you're on a live set with like a studio audience with, you know, yeah. comedic powerhouses in your show like David Spade, Patrick Warburton, et cetera are there like are are there writers on set for rewrites are are they improving for rewrites like how how different is that from you know like a table read in a writer's room well
2: on on show night, that's what we call it uh when we shoot the show sometimes it's like Friday nights, so it depends on the shooting schedule. So all the writers usually usually get dressed up, you go down to the stage and you're on the floor. people in the audience and you're on the floor just a few feet away from the actors, and you're watching the show, and when a joke doesn't land usually a huddle and uh then you, you, frantically pitching jokes and so like 10 writers throwing out jokes and the one that gets a laugh then they'll run in to the uh you know the star and hey say this line instead and then you do the scene and if the audience laughs that's the one you use gotcha so do you is there prefer... a lot of room
0: for improving on those kind of sets as well
2: no. Uh, no it depends on how the show is run but by usually no i mean you're you have a. Uh, you got an audience there and actors don't usually want to improv. They don't want to strike out in front of an audience and, and, and the audience, you don't want to keep them there longer than necessary. You know, as it is, it might take four or five hours. It's exhausting. You know, cause you shoot each scene over and over. It's really fun to go to a taping. If anybody, if anyone's listening, I would encourage you to go to a taping just once, just to experience it. Even if it's a terrible show, you'll love it. You go, this is great. Uh, but you don't want to do, you know, you don't want to hold your audience hostage. You'll, you'll lose energy for sure.
1: That's what I was going to ask is, you know, once you do a, an animated script that's sort of like it's set in stone, uh, do you prefer, no, re, no really? Like, yeah. You can change so you'll, things?
2: You'll do an animated show uh, and you'll do the table read where all the actors sit around the table. And then after that, we'll do a rewrite immediately afterwards to see what works and what doesn't work. Then a couple days days uh, uh, later, we have another read called the record read. Uh, where we're doing the same thing, or sometimes we'll skip the read, but whatever. The the uh, the actors will go uh, record that script with the microphones, right? Mm-hmm. And then you give that track to the animators, and the animators will start drawing. And they put together, several months later, they'll put, come together with what's called an animatic, which is like a very crude... Like sketch drawing of, of what the you know the show looks like, and then you'll watch that and do a rewrite based on the animatic because not everything's going to work. Now that you see see it on its feet, it's not really working, so you have to change parts. And then you do a color a couple months later. It takes usually nine months to animate one of these things, and every step of the way, you're getting different versions and you're rewriting it based on what you think is going to work.
1: See, that's so what I think really it it. is crazy between something like writing something like King of the Hill or even you know stuff like. Uh, family Guy, where it takes a year or more before yeah. e- for an episode to go from idea to on TV, and then you have shows like South Park. Do you think yeah. you could ever do something like South Park, where it's like it's literally seven days to get yeah. uh, from concept to finished product? Well,
2: that's um, yeah, that's definitely fast, and, that, and there's no knocking those guys are great, but the animation that shows incredibly crude. I mean, they're not spending a lot of time, mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know, honestly. They, the the arms move like this, so that's why you can bang those things out. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they write it so fast, you know, I think they work pretty hard. <laughs> but uh, you know, they're certainly great.
1: So tell me about the podcast. You have a podcast called Screenwriters Need to Hear This. Um, mm-hmm. You're up to episode 67. When when did you start the podcast? Um, we do about uh, we drop one a week, so
2: you tell me a, yeah. a month, a year, and something.
1: Yeah, a little over a year. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> So yeah. what what prompted you to start the podcast to uh, just something for to help out screenwriters? Uh, well, I was um, I had a project that I want to get off uh, that
2: I want to get off right and like a passion project, and uh, my agent said, "Yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna need to have a social media following to sell this." And I said, really, yep. And I go give me a year, and so that's how I've been doing it. I I have a podcast. I go on Instagram. I go on Twitter, Facebook, uh, not Twitter, not Twitter so much, but uh, TikTok. And every day I post tips, on what it's like to be a screenwriter, how to get into the business, how to get out of the business, whatever. And uh, and I'm just building up a following. So now I was able to, now I'm a, I have a one-man show that I've been putting up. I wouldn't have been able to do this without having a following. Just, you know, people who now they know me. It's you
1: know? awesome. Yeah. So what's the and reception is, is, for it been like? Has it been uh, pretty positive? Oh, I'll show you. So this is my show, a paper orchestra,
2: and it's based on my... Um, my forthcoming collection of personal essays, and so it's uh, if you're family like David Sedaris or Spalding Gray, it's, it's that kind of thing. So it's not stand-up; it's a little, it's a, it's funny, but it, it also gets deep and and poignant at times. It just depends on what story I'm performing. But uh, yeah, so we've done a bunch of shows, and we started touring with it, and I'll tour more with it in the summer. And so if anybody wants to come see me, <laughs> they can go to my website and just enter the. uh, enter uh, their what city they want me to come visit and I have a long list of cities I want to hit and that's Michaeljamin.com slash upcoming
1: yeah, I'll, I'll put the link in the, the show notes for for the website that people can go check out absolutely and is that something
0: that a lot of screenwriters and writers are trying to do with branching out to social media and kind of like other forms of media performance or are you kind of like trying to <laughs> streamline that for other people
2: You know, there's, I I mean, there's a handful of us, and I kind of met a few of us that are doing it. Uh, One guy works mainly mainly in drama, one's a younger kid. There's only a handful of us on social media kind of doing what I'm doing. Uh, But I don't think any of them have the same intention uh, of, like, why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because at my age, I just want to try something different. I want, I just, this to me, it's about creating new stuff. And it's about, I can do, what I can do in theater it's interesting. It's like I, there are things I can't do in television that I that I can do in theater. And that's because when you sell a show, I think there's a, there's a bis, big misunderstanding. People think sometimes people say to me, "You should do a show about this. You should do this on your show." You as if I had any control over that. I get paid by the studios. I don't get to do whatever I want. There's, I I work for the studios. When you know, I I I'm a good boy. I'll do what they tell me to do because I want to keep that check coming. But creatively, there's, there's a limit to that. I can't do what only I want, but when I, but this, this was like, I get to do what I want to do. Just creative. Like no one's, I'm not taking notes. Uh, I don't have to answer anybody. I get to write the way I want to write. It's me. It's just very satisfying to be able to, even though I'm only performing for whatever the shows are 50, 60 people. It's not a huge crowd. Uh, it's like, to me, it's really powerful. And sometimes people, I do a Q and a after the show, and they say, "Are you going to turn this into a TV show?" I'm like, "You don't understand. I, this is not. I'm not trying to do a TV show. I don't want this to be a TV show. But if they offer me a lot of money, we'll we'll talk. But uh, that's not the intention for this."
1: So, have you ever? Right. Uh, uh, do you have any plans to like jump, make the jump to film or anything like that? Have you written any film scripts or anything?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, we've. My partner and I. We
1: wrote three
2: movies. We sold two of them. Movies, uh, both them, you know, both were to 20th Century Fox, and so movies—that's another thing. Movies don't get made, yeah. and so movie you can make. Well, like 10 years ago, up until about 10 years ago, you could make a really good living in Hollywood writing movies that mm-hmm. never get made, and I can make a lot of money. Uh, those days are kind of changing a little bit now. But um, if 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 it's your, it's a creative bug that you want. If you want to see your work on the screen and you want to have control over that, then you work in television. So we just did the movie thing to eh, let's see what let's see what it's like, and then we were like, eh, I like I like movies, I like TV better.
1: Well, it's kind of the the way it's been going the last, I'd say, fifteen years or so. Really, since I think roughly you know Breaking Bad, where mm-hmm. they there was that transition to where TV became the more prestige, yeah. type of storytelling. I,
2: I think, especially for comedy, I mean. Like, I don't know. I think there's way more good comedy stuff on television than mm-hmm. there in, in the theaters, theatrical. But
1: especially yeah. with streaming, I think a lot more. There's a lot more subversive comedy now. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And there's so many TV shows too that they can change episode to episode to like and capture uh, different kinds of senses of humor. Whereas, like, if you're in a comedy movie, you're kind of trapped. Like, this is the comedy movie for this kind of humor. And a TV show can kind of, you know, wow, we'll include these kind of different jokes all through the
1: series.
2: Yeah,
0: in a way sometimes, yeah, yeah.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, as a budding writer, I, I have to ask your 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 opinion and and get some advice from you sure. as a person who's written a lot of stuff, and I have scripts that are you know short films, things like that. Stuff never really been sold. I did, and I'm going to plug myself, and Jacob's going to hate me for this, but yeah. <laughs> I made. I made a short film, award-winning short film called Monsters Anonymous, which is way better than it deserves to be <laughs> because the the people we had working on it, we had Jeremy London uh, directed it. We had uh, Brian O'Halloran from Clerks was in it. Um, Jackie Siegel, the the queen of Versailles, uh, helped bankroll it. Um, and we did this movie for 15000 and it looks like a $50,000 short film. Like, we had... Uh, makeup artists from walking dead was on it and everything. So, um, and it came out great. We won, you know, best comedy at con shorts, film festivals. And, and right. we won like, uh, at least a dozen, you know, best comedy, uh, film festivals. And after that, it was sort of, well, things are going to happen now. And it's sort of like, I it can't even get my foot in the door to show people this thing I made and said, Hey, I have ideas. This could be a TV show, and I have other ideas for TV show. Like, how do I get my foot in the door? Well, you already hit, your foot already is
2: in the door. You just need to do it again. I mean, I give you, you did it. You you shot a movie. You didn't, and that's not a lot of money. Fifteen thousand is not a lot of money. Oh no! I mean, <laughs> and so uh, you could do it again. You could, you know, it's not going to kill you to raise that kind of money again. Mm-hmm. And you're not talking about hundred thousand. It's fifteen thousand. And uh, I would say do it again and keep doing it and doing it. And so the first one didn't pop. Okay, I mean, so a lot of people liked it. It just didn't pop. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep doing it. As far as when Hollywood, like if if you uh, is it up on YouTube or yeah, Vimeo or
1: something? It's available okay. on YouTube now. It's uh, just, if anybody wants to go see it, it's uh, award-winning short film "Monsters Anonymous" on YouTube. How many views does this have? Uh, right now it's I think a little over a thousand on YouTube. About
2: Okay, yeah, so barely if anything. Had, if it, was barely, it really is barely anything. But if it had a million, uh Hollywood would come find you, whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. It could be terrible if it had a lot of views, suddenly and you keep doing this consistently, Hollywood will find you. Now, like the, the important thing to notice, it, I mean it sounds like your movie was well received, like, you know, won some well, a bunch of festivals and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really matter. It, what Hollywood wants is marketability. It's like the you know, you could be Shakespeare, but unless you're putting asses in seats. Hollywood, yeah. you know so it's it's really about that i would encourage you you did it once do it again keep okay. doing it you know uh but and don't it's not it's not a one and done kind of thing
1: yeah but Still you know it's it. like you put and, so and much done, you put so much that? heart and soul into something and you know, I produced the thing, and it almost gave me a nervous breakdown. Producing yeah, well, welcome thing. to thing, dude, welcome to the real <laughs> world. I mean, and you think it's going to be any different if Hollywood gives you? Oh, I a know.
2: Dollar <laughs> budget. You don't think you're going to have a nervous break on every episode like I do? It's like it's <laughs> stressful. So, I mean, it's not going to be any different. And I did my a, a, a couple. this is a while ago. My partner and I were brought in. Someone like yourself um, made a show, but a, a web series, not just one episode. So they did a, several, and. Uh it was uneven. Some were great and some were okay, but some were really good. And and some had like a couple million views and some had like, you know, 10,000. Like it's not and so it was uneven. But yeah. that's how they got discovered by um a producer in Hollywood. The producer called my partner and, I and hey, do you guys uh want to help us sell this as a TV show? We were on the fence, but um we were like, okay, let's give it a shot. And so that's and this is exactly what someone like you just did, but they did it they but they did more of them. They Did it like I'm telling you to do, keep doing it, keep doing it until they got the attention of Holly. Now, the deal fell apart for reasons that we weren't even involved with, but um, uh, but still, they had their shot, you know. Yeah, I mean, I know we, that, we yeah, have plenty um, of
1: other uh, other scripts for it, like because we had planned to do what you said was to make a web series out of it and mm-hmm. keep making them once every six months or so, uh, and yeah. keep going, but you know. Uh, that life kind of happens pandemic happened and then everything just sort of fell apart but i gotta say the
2: quality and not, not knowing the quality of how you did it but you could have shot it on your phone if that saves money the only thing you need to have is good sound you know that because you oh, can't yeah, hear yeah. it but the, i don't care about the lighting i don't care about it we did a show uh called marin starring mark marin and IFC, and we were the showrunners of that it, it, it was real low budget the lighting wasn't terribly terrific the camera it wasn't i mean it, it looked like It was shot on a, it looked like a low budget show. It looked, and, you know, it looked like it was shot on a budget. Great. And we leaned into it. I mean, you know, the reviews were fantastic. No one ever said, well, the the lighting could be better. No one ever said that. They said, this is really well written, you know, and acted and, and, and
0: produced.
1: So, yeah.
0: And I know that you have your own um, sort of you have your own writing uh, workshops and and things that you do with people as well. Is this the kind of stuff that uh, people can be expected to learn from taking a class with you?
2: Yeah, I started. That's another thing. So I have a friend who partnered with me on this. He was a film school student and he moved out here. And he was like, you know, struggling. And I told him, and I, I spent like, you know, an afternoon with him teaching him what I know as a showrunner about how stories work. Right. And uh, he's like, how come I didn't learn this in film school? I'm like, I don't know. Can you get your money back? Can you get your $150,000 back? Uh, but he goes, you should start a course. I was like, I don't really have the time or desire. But then the pandemic hit and I was out of work, you know, like everyone else for like six months or a year. We were, you know, we were done. No one was doing anything. So I put together the course. I'm now back at work, but the course is still available, and so once a month we open up enrollment but what the the gold I think I teach a lot in the, in the course it's you know it's it's long it's like it's it's fourteen hours at least but um the gold really is how a showrunner takes an idea and turns it into an episode of television literally how we how we identify whether there's enough meat on the bone to turn it into a half hour or an hour or ninety minutes, whatever you're shooting. And then where, what are those, what are the moments fall? that first act break, that second act, break. what are the, how, how do you know where those moments go? How do you unfold? And there's a, there's a rhythm to it and there's a, there's a technique and I, I could go into any comedy writing or any room, really any writer's room and within five minutes get caught up to speed and start contributing in a significant way. And in the same, any other writer, the same thing and in coming into my room, if they've been working the business for X amount of time, this is how it works all the rooms work. Work very similarly. And there was, a, there was a quote, someone, there was a clip that someone tagged me on social media. It was uh, Vince Gilligan talking about the Breaking Bad Writings Room. And it looked like every single writer's room I've ever been in. And he was describing story structure the same way we all, like we all use the same words, the same language. We all, it's the same thing. It doesn't really matter whether it's comedy or drama. A comedy is just as funny, but, it, but a drama is dramatic, but it's still a story.
0: You
1: know. we got to tell you guys about B-Res Coffee Company.
0: That's right. B-Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by game.
1: Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out of this world chocolate and caramel flavored roast or the two hardies one ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast.
0: You can even get your very own open micers roast of coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too.
1: So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. And so what's kind of the
0: key to consistently getting your ideas picked up? Is it, is it kind of the same repetitive voice that they're looking for? Or do you need to bring a degree of originality to the table as oh, well? Oh, well,
2: that's a whole different thing. So, so sometimes I'm, I work on staff of a television show. I'm an existing show. I like doing that. I'm currently on a show called Tacoma FD, but sometimes I'm, I'm selling original work. I'm selling pilots. And so that's anyone's guess. I mean, the truth, the truth is for every four pilots we take out, maybe we sell one. So if I knew how to do it better, I'd, I'd have a higher batting average, but this is about typical of what it is for most people in Hollywood.
1: So when it comes to, to pitching the shows and, and, the way Hollywood works, like they, you know, they they call it the uh, pilot season. You know, when yeah. I was a uh, budding actor and everything, you know, everybody wants to be on in pilot season, and maybe one out of how many shows would you say would you say actually get picked up out of one show out of ten, twenty?
2: Well, there is no pilot season anymore. Honestly, this yeah. is this is before streaming and you know, okay. But I, I would say like let's say or 15 years ago there was pilot season and back when the networks were buying a lot of scripts and they might be they might buy like one network might buy a hundred scripts you know they'll hear hear a thousand pitches buy a hundred scripts then you write those scripts and of those hundred they might shoot six of them wow and then of those six that they shoot two might get on the air and of those two that's on the air one is already canceled and that's just the numbers game now it's a little different now now the their pockets the days are leaner. They're not buying the shows the way they used to, so it's even harder now. There was an article in the Hollywood Reporter the other day, or it was a Deadline? I don't, I don't know. It was somewhere. It was basically saying, yeah, like the networks bought like three shows this year. <laughs> it's like it nothing.
1: Is, it sounds like so, it's it's almost a miracle when a show makes it to air. It is. It is. It's definitely. Uh, yeah. It's a de- and it has nothing to do.
2: You know, sometimes good shows don't make it, and sometimes bad shows do make it, and it's for reasons that that would shock you, and have nothing to do with the quality of the script. And so that's just life. And so, yeah, is it fair? No. What what is fair?
1: And what happens to all those shows and scripts that that never get produced? That they they're just rotting in a you know, a yeah, they're, they're under uh, someone's century. desk
2: keeping it, keeping it steady. <laughs> but I, you know, honestly, I got the check. I I sold. I got a check. That's Great. Uh, you know, that's, that's the goal. I get to make money. I got to make this I'm a professional. If they don't buy it, my, I don't cry. I go, okay, what can I sell you now? That's my next. What can we try now? Because it's a numbers game. You got to keep at it. And yeah. so it's like what you're talking about. Well, I was crushed because nothing ever came of it. Dude, welcome to my world. Like, <laughs> you know, it's par for the
1: course. Just come up with another one. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm a good watch salesman. Can I offer you one of these? But the you know? problem is, you know, when I'm writing stuff, I always tend to write bigger than I have a budget for. And, you know, yeah. I pay attention to guys like, you know, Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez who, who say things like right to what, you know, and for what you can actually film. If you're going to do it yourself, I try to do that, but my stuff ends up being way too big. That's on you. And, and see, that's <laughs> the thing. And I, and people will say that, like, well, how am I going to come up with a million dollars
2: to shoot my, my epic uh, battleship movie? That's on you. I mean, I could shoot a thing. I could shoot a, a compelling love story on a park bench that we shoot up right out right up the street, you know, mm-hmm. and that's because I know how to, I can write. And, you know, it's, that's, that it's story, it, you know, don't be distracted by the, you know, I did a, um, my wife owned a line of, of girls' clothing for many years. And so I used to shoot, I used to write in the commercials for them. And they're always funny. They're like sitcoms. Each one was like, a, uh, like three minutes long. They're like little miniature movies. And I had, I hired high school kids to shoot it, you know, kids because there was like, you know, whatever. They were high school kids. They wanted and they loved it. And they had cameras and the lights and whatever. Um and each one, each one I shot was for about fourteen hundred dollars. That's what it cost each commercial. And and that included mainly like buying pizza for the kids at lunch, <laughs> giving them each couple hundred dollars at the end of the day, putting in their pockets just so they have some, you know. Yeah. And that was it. That was the budget. Like, you don't need a lot of money as long as it's well written. You
1: that's know? the thing. I got to learn how to write small and, and just yeah, write small. I, there, there's a whole
2: module. And it, that's in my course, which I call "Mining Your Life for Stories. Everyone has it. The, the smaller the story, and I learned this many years ago, the, the, more, the smaller the story, the more compelling it is, honestly. Like, I can watch. I'm not going to badmouth mouth any movies, but I could, there could be some superhero mu- movie with all this CGI, which would cost a fortune. You know, which ones I'm talking, right? And I, to me, I'm bored out of my mind. Are they amazing to look at? Sure. But I, I don't find it interesting, but I could find, I can watch a small little movie. Like what was that movie called? Uh, uh, oh Christ. Now I can't even remember. Do I have it here? Um, into the, what was it called into the wild? It was, uh, Reese Witherspoon did a wonderful movie where she went into the woods and it was such a small little movie, but her mom died and she went into the woods. She hiked the Appalachian trail and it's such a small little, and it's a a character study basically. To me, that's fascinating. And you
1: could do a character
2: study to people like on a, on a park bench, you know, honestly,
1: I've always wanted to do the thing. And, um, I forgot who it was that did this. It was, um, where you could buy, a, a, where Stephen King would sell the rights to his short stories for a dollar, and really? you could shoot a film. And I always wanted to do uh, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, because that's one of my favorite Stephen King short story books, and that would be so easy to do, because it's just one little girl in the woods. <laughs> what are you waiting for? For a dollar? Yeah. You know? Or or do that, or do something. mean?
2: I'm not sure which would serve you better. I, I don't know because it's like, it's, you know, I, I don't know. If, if you want to get a job as a writer, that's not going to help you because okay. you didn't write it. You're just shooting. If you want to get a job as a director, that would help you. Right. But, um, but certainly you could do something equally small. I did it during the, the, the writer strike in 2008. I, um, I was carrying a picket sign for three hours a day. And so I wrote a play um, about basically how I ran into an old girl. It's was basically a play about me and my, an old girlfriend. And, um, and we shot it. We did not shoot it. We, we staged it in a, in a black box theater, which is, you know, nothing. It's a black box. Mm-hmm. And so I intentionally wrote it so that there would only be three ca- three speaking parts. And I wouldn't need scenes. I wouldn't need sets. I would just, you know, part, literally a park bench. And, you know, people were crying and we'd be we staged it, and people were crying, you know, and, but you can do that if, if you write, you know, that the people respond to the writing and the acting, not to the sets, not to the special effects. That's mm-hmm. my opinion, at least. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, see, that's the thing that when we made Monsters Anonymous, see, when I came up with the idea for it, it was literally just a skit that had been running around in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the classic movie monsters in a therapy session. You know, mm-hmm. and when I, we came up with it, it was you know we were taking an acting class from Jeremy London, and. Uh, me and he had gone out of town to film a movie and me and some of the other students got together and we're talking about, let's do something, you know, something we could just film in one day and submit the film festivals, just sort of like a calling card for our, our class or whatever. And, you know, I went home and wrote it and then I I sent it to my, my writing partner, Mr. Wally Phelps, and he did a pass on it you know, put an ending on it and everything. We wrote it together and I sent it to Jeremy London. Didn't hear from him for a few days. he, called me back and said it was the funniest thing he'd ever read one and asked if he could direct it. Because originally we were just going to do this thing with, you know, a spirit Halloween store makeup in a friend of mine's office overnight. We were going to film this thing, but it turned into this huge thing where, you know, we crowdfunded it and then all these people wanted to come in and do it. And they did it basically for free, like the entire, like the cinematographer and the crew and, You know, everybody that came in. So it became this thing that was like so much more than what it was supposed to be. And I felt, you know, it was kind of like, well, this is going to be huge. And then it happened and then nothing. And that was kind of like a huge letdown. Yes, it is. But here's the thing.
2: You did it for $15,000, which is amazing that you did it for that little. How many minutes was this short? Uh, It's like 23, 24 minutes long. Okay, so it's about like an episode of television, half mm-hmm. hour sitcom. But you did it for 15. I'm telling you, I could have done it for five. Really? I could have done <laughs> it for five, and we would have done three of them. You know? Like, because whatever you spend the money on, I could spend less. And
1: Yeah, and we so, mostly spent it on makeup and, and prosthetics and things like that.
2: <laughs> all right, so right. Okay, right. But you could have done it. You could have done the cheapy makeup and it would have been goofy in its own way it would have been campy probably well that's what we um,
1: planned on it was supposed to be like just this campy little thing we were gonna do just to, you know to, right. as a calling card and, and, and it, no one's and here's the thing no one's gonna even for what you spend
2: on the makeup no one is i'm sure it looked good but it wasn't as impressive as a movie with a real movie with a big bit makeup budget yeah. i'm sure it looked good but wasn't fantastic so you're not going to impress anybody with the makeup we know that yeah might as well save money on the makeup. That's how I feel. Uh, but and I'm sure it was disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've sold, uh, I've sold the pilot and they didn't, it didn't get made. That's disappointing. But this is how I make my living. So you pick yourself up and you write something again. I mean, that's yeah. how it is. So I know it's hard for you. I want to assure you it's equally hard for me and all, everyone else in Hollywood who struck. I mean, we're all in the same boat. There's only a handful, a handful of big name. Writers or, or producers, directors who pretty much
1: get to call the shots. Well, that's so really you know, that's really all know, I needed to hear was that it's just it didn't just happen to me. Like it actually happens to everybody. Like there's just everybody has disappointment for not yeah. getting you know something. It, it's so shocking to me. People say, "How do I sell my screenplay?" I'm like, good question. I as, I ask
2: myself that same <laughs> question every day. How do I sell my screenplay? Because some sell and some don't. Yeah, and so. If they wrote one and I write constantly,
1: that's how I do it. I, you know, I sell one out of five or four. So after so many years of, I mean, you've been doing this since 1995, you know, after yeah. th- this many years of doing it, it's just sort of those, is it, is it like a, is it just automatic at this point to just be able to just sit and just, I'm going to write something right now or write an episode. You just sit and just do it.
2: Well, I know how to, and so, and that's because I've learned and that's what I teach in my course is how to do it. And I didn't learn, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't assume I knew how to do it. This is, I I learned from the feet of people, great writers, working, working for great writers and that's how you learn. So, um, now I, you know, it's not when I, when I have to write a story, it's not like, what do I do? I I know what to do. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's still hard because I know how to do it. It doesn't make it any, you know, but at least I know there's a map. I know, what it's supposed to look like I know what it's supposed to feel like and I'm not like writing in the dark
1: yeah
0: so I want to talk about your your tiktok a little bit because you um that's where I discovered you from was on tiktok and then I went down my rabbit hole of of finding you know all of the things that you've worked on um how important is it to like stay relevant on a relevant platform and what can you do on a platform like tiktok to direct people to listen to your podcast sign up for your writing course check out your work
2: oh yeah and i do more than that now i'm I'm doing a, a free monthly webinar where i talk about all the things all the like i like this would have been a good one for me yelling at jason for half hour about how to get his <laughs> you know what to do next and so this is what this webinar is i talk about the obstacles you're going to face and how i would get around him and um and that's free. You can go to my website and sign up. As far as with, like, what TikTok allows me to do, honestly, it gives me agency. It allows me. Uh, it, it's helped in so many ways. First of all, I, I have a big following. So I'm doing a show right now with the, uh, my partner. Are doing a pilot with the Broken Lizard guys. I'll go on and I'll, and I'll promote it. Once we have it, I'll help promote it. I have a big audience. You know, that Getting people to watch is a big deal. Uh, but it also gives me agency. It it allows me to have my show that I can tour. Like that's kind of, it allows me to live the creative life that I want to live basically by, by just, and and it's like I said, it's by giving It's by, Hey, I'm just sharing my knowledge. You don't have to pay me for it. And, and people, you know, then people they want to see what else I can do. So they come to see my show. Oh, that's what they, you know, and, and honestly, the show, as I was just like railing about, um, you know, how, but mining your life for stories about how to take something, a small little moment from your life and how to turn it to something dramatic and and fulfilling. And, and, and that's what the show is. It's like, cause I'm the, the all the stories are tell I tell are, are true. They all happen to me, but I tell them in a way as if I was a character in my own life. So it's, it's as if it's a story, really like a story. And, uh, and that's the moving part. You know, I think that people like wow, but you just painted a story in my. You just, I I tell them the story. They're not even watching it. I'm just telling them the story, and uh, for that hour, while they're they're riveted their seats, because you're you're allowing them to imagine it,
0: right? And you said that when you had that that project that you wanted to sell, mm-hmm. your your agent said that you need to cultivate a following. You said, yeah. "Give me a year." Yeah. In that year, what did you do to cultivate that huge TikTok following?
2: Uh, it, you know, good, good question. I mean, I post every day and the, sometimes they go viral and sometimes they don't. And it, what's ironic is the ones that the 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 uh, TikToks that I do that I feel like are the most helpful for people. If you're an aspiring writer, the ones that you definitely need to hear, those are the ones that get the few the, the least amount of views. Right. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in, if you're really interested, go watch my TikToks and look for the ones that no one's watching. Go watch those.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, it seems to me like people are, are interested in kind of learning about your profession yeah. and things that they think about but don't know. Like you have the whole series of where you break down your residuals checks yeah, every right. time they come in. People and you tell that. people, I have I have no idea why I get this much from this show, but it still fascinates people and they'll ask anyways, why do you get this from Rules of Engagement but this from, you know, whatever else? Oh, oh, they get mad. oh, they, And they get they, they get trolls, so they... they... Oh, you're not. One guy said today,
2: you're not doing. If you're, you're not doing well enough to. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can show. You're doing so. You're not doing well enough that you can get a real uh, central air conditioning, right? Because that's my air conditioning. <laughs> well, this is. I'm in a garage. I'm in a finished garage that I turn into my office. It's detached. There's no central air in a garage. Yeah. Not in yeah. LA. Right. So yeah, it, yeah. Sorry if you don't like my crappy wall <laughs> unit. I wasn't going to put central air into my garage. <laughs> but yeah, so people. You know, uh, but yeah, that, I, I share that. I share, um, you know, people like that. Sometimes I tell stories about working on King of the Hill or or this show, Glenn Martin DDS. My partner and I ran and they go, oh, my God, let's talk about that. So I, you just never know what people are going to respond to. So I post every day. What what's, we'll been, see.
1: Uh, what's been the most fun thing you ever worked on? Well, every the first show I was on was Just Shoot Me. And that was,
2: like, I made it. That was like, wow, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. It was thrilling. And it was really hard. And, uh, you know, uh, it was in over my head for sure. But this show, my partner ran, this is, I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh, and this is a show no one ever saw. And it was Claymation. It was, uh, uh, it was uh, Kevin Nealon, Catherine O'Hara, and Judy Greer with the leads. And the writers, like, we, we have, I've never laughed that hard on a show every day we were just killing each other with laugh um because we were you know it was like what makes us laugh well the audience wasn't laughing but we were laughing (laughs) so that was fun
1: what about you jake have you got anything else for him before we start to wrap this thing up you know
0: i i think we've we've touched on just about everything uh michael please tell everyone what you want them to know where can they sign up for your webinar? Where, like where can they get your writing courses, your podcast? Tell us all about your, your social medias and what you want to talk about. I got, I got a lot, dude. I have So the podcast is called Screenwriters Need to Hear This. And it's everywhere. It's Spotify,
2: Apple, whatever you get, pod, you know, podcast. Uh, and then I have everything else can be found on my website, michaeljammin.com. And uh, we're, and you can get I, I give away a free writing lesson. and I give away I have a free newsletter with tips every, you know, every Friday. I, um, I have this free webinar. You can sign up. At, you can find all the links there on my website or you can follow me on social media on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok at Michael Jamen writer.
0: All right. Excellent. And I highly recommend uh, subscribing to his TikTok. He puts very interesting things on there. Watch all of his videos. Because
2: we're YouTube, sorry. I
0: forgot I'm on YouTube, I'm everywhere, dude. 100 <laughs> yeah, percent look up know. Michael Jamin on all over social media. And uh, Jason, I think we're about ready to head for the door, but yeah,
1: I think so, Michael. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. I've been looking forward to this for weeks, I'm, and I'm okay. sorry we uh we we had to reschedule it for this week, but okay, Jason,
2: just start uh shooting those you know, those shorts again, just get oh, back I will. up there,
1: and uh, I'll, I'll keep in touch with you. And the next one I finally get done, I'll, I'll you'll be the first to know excellent excellent good that's luck to you that's what I need I, I need somebody I need people to yell at me to get me to get things it. done spend your time <laughs> on the script that's it I was born for this job I'm just going <laughs> to yell at Jason every time he belly aches yeah. about something yeah. Uh, oh, yeah yeah. again thank you so much for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, we'll yeah, have to have pleasure. you on again uh, sometime soon alright uh, yeah. thank you so much and thank you everybody for watching and uh, if you would like to email us you can email us at openmicerspodcast at gmail.com we are at openmicers on Twitter and Instagram and go join our Patreon patreon.com slash om podcast and that's going to do it for this week and we will see you guys next
0: week